Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. That's it to LeBron for three for the win. But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio Headlines of the Week. Don't expect to see NBA basketball anytime soon. We'll talk about that. In segment three, Maury Brown from the bizofbaseball.com. He'll join us. Lots of activity on the hot stove with Major League Baseball. Some news with the Dodgers. Lots with Maury Brown around the biz of baseball coming up in segment three. In segment four, it's our friend Christine Brennan. She's a sports columnist for USA Today. You hear her on NPR. She has commentary for ABC News. She'll join us, and we'll break down this Penn State situation. I tell you, it's getting stranger by the day. So widespread, so many people involved. We'll try and scratch the surface of the Penn State scandal with Christine Brennan in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog. Download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can become our Facebook friend or follow me on Twitter. Find those links on the homepage of sportsbusinessradio.com. My Twitter handle is at SBRadio. At BGrizzle22, Brian Griggs, executive producer. Griggs, how you doing? Doing good. Looking forward to uh, Thanksgiving coming. I'm looking forward to a little time off and having some good food, so always look forward to that time of year. Are you a uh, big turkey dinner guy? Yeah, I like the turkey, and then apple pie is probably my favorite. Yeah, I like apple pie. I like pumpkin pie, too, though. See, I'm not a pumpkin guy. And then I know you like the little uh, holiday drinks from Starbucks, too, so you're excited that uh, Starbucks has the foofy drinks going on, right? The foofy drinks, (laughs) exactly. Good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, coming up next, it's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, headline number one, this Penn State scandal gets more bizarre by the day. And what we're finding is this isn't just the athletic department at Penn State. It's not just the university. It's not just the board of trustees. This reaches out to politicians, law enforcement officials. This thing is so widespread, Griggs. We're uncovering new information every single day. But by far the most bizarre thing that happened this week is that Jerry Sandusky himself spoke and did an interview on NBC with Bob Costas. And the way this went down, Griggs, is Costas tried to get an interview with Sandusky's attorney. And when he contacted Sandusky's attorney, the attorney said, well, actually, I can put you in touch with Jerry Sandusky. So even Bob Costas never in a million years thought that Sandusky himself would be available. What lawyer? I mean, Griggs, you can learn from just watching a few episodes of Law & Order SVU that you wouldn't put your client on national TV with these kinds of allegations against him. But that's exactly what the attorney did. Here's Jerry Sandusky sitting down with Bob Costas in one of the more disturbing, uncomfortable, creepy interviews I've ever heard. But Bob Costas did a fantastic job as a journalist asking the questions that needed to be asked. Here's Costas starting the interview talking about Sandusky's innocence. A reasonable person says where there's this much smoke, there must be plenty of fire. What do you say? I say that I am innocent of those charges. Innocent, completely innocent and falsely accused in every aspect? Well, I could say that, you know, I have done some of those things. I have horsed around with kids. I I have showered after workouts. I I have hugged them and I have touched their leg without intent of sexual contact. So if if you look at it that way, uh, there are things that wouldn't, uh, you know, would be accurate. Are you denying that you had any inappropriate sexual contact with yes, any of these underage boys? Yes, I am. Never touched their genitals, never engaged in oral sex? Right. What about Mike McQuarrie, the grad assistant who in 2002 walked into the shower where he says in specifically 10 or 11 years old that his hands were up against the shower wall and he heard rhythmic slap, slap, slapping sounds and he described that as a rape? I would say that that's false. What did happen in the shower the night that Mike McQuarrie happened upon you and the young boy? Okay, we were showering and and horsing around, and he actually turned all the showers on and was uh, actually sliding uh, across the uh, the floor and um, and we were, as I recall, possibly like snapping a towel, a horseplay. So there's graphic graphic questioning and answers from Bob Costas to Jerry Sandusky on NBC this week. But by far, the most uncomfortable moment was this question. Are you a pedophile? No. Are you sexually attracted to young boys, to underage boys? Am I sexually attracted to underage boys? 
sexually attracted. You know, I, I enjoy young people. I, I love to be around them. But no, I'm not sexually attracted to young boys. Again, it's stunning to me, Griggs, A, that anyone thinks like this, Sandusky, what a, what a sick individual. But then that his lawyer let him do this interview. I mean, you talk about putting things on the record and incriminating yourself further. Holy cow. The interview was creepy all the way around. I thought, again, Costas did a great job handling a real difficult subject. The other part of this story this week, so CBS's Armin Katayan promotes on Twitter on Tuesday that he's got a, an interview with Mike McQuarrie, and everyone's wanted to hear from Mike McQuarrie because McQuarrie's had conflicting reports. He sends an email to a friend saying that he did the right thing, that he didn't just walk away, that he stopped the situation, that he called police. Then the police come out and say, you know what, there were no reports filed. We didn't hear from Mike McQuarrie. But Armin Katayan promoted this interview, and then you turn on CBS, and it was literally like a 20-second question on the front doorstep of McQuarrie. And Armin Katayan, who's a pretty respected journalist for CBS, just got hammered by journalists, including myself. I wrote on Twitter something to the effect of, this is the biggest empty promise since 1986 when Geraldo Rivera told us that we were going to see something in Al Capone's vault. And they opened it up and it was an empty vault. I mean, I remember watching that in 86 going, what a sham. Well, this is a sham, too, with Armin Katayan. Then the other piece of news that was interesting this week, and there were a lot of interesting pieces that we'll get to with Christine Brennan later in the show, but the judge who had granted bail for Sandusky, $100,000 of bail, she released him on that bail, and it later was discovered that she had ties to his Second Mile Foundation. So, Talk about a conflict of interest. So a new judge has been assigned for the December 7th hearing. And I'll tell you what, Griggs, coming out of that hearing, and I'm not a a lawyer or a police officer, but I don't see how Sandusky's out as a free person right now. After that hearing on December 7th, how do you not put this guy behind bars? Like, what does someone have to do in our society to not be put behind bars? He's shown he's a danger to young people. It's just a gross, sick story all the way around. This guy needs to be uh, behind bars. And we'll cover more of this with Christine Brennan coming up in segment four. Our next headline, the NBA, well, they disbanded the union. They've canceled games through December 15th. So the players said no to the owner's last proposal. On Monday, they disbanded the union. Um, Antitrust lawsuits have been filed by players like Carmelo Anthony and Kevin Durant. This is now in the legal system instead of at the bargaining table. And again, games canceled through December 15th. I expect that uh, more games will be canceled again soon. The average lost salary by players, $220,000 per paycheck. So November 15th was supposed to be the first paycheck. Kobe Bryant lost $1.1 million just from that paycheck. Kevin Garnett, who is in the twilight of his career, $887,000 from that first paycheck. So the players are going to feel this. The owners eventually will feel this. But Griggs, the frustrating thing here is this isn't going to get handled in the courtroom. And all it's going to do is delay a deal by months because once you tie anything up in the legal system, it takes a long time to sort itself out. 
Don't expect to see NBA basketball anytime soon. I think the season is in jeopardy. I'll be surprised if we see any NBA games this season at all. Our next headline, the Major League Baseball, hey, give them credit. I always rip on Bud C League on this show. They're close to finalizing their collective bargaining agreement. It's up in December. There are going to be some changes to Major League Baseball starting in 2013. The Astros will move to the American League. And their new owner, Jim Crane, is getting a reported $70 million discount on his purchase price of the Astros for making the agreement to move to the AL. The new CBA is going to add two more playoff teams for a total of 10, so two more wildcard teams. And then there's going to be regular interleague play. So, again, Major League Baseball gets this deal done quietly, without a public battle. The NBA could have learned something here, Griggs. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like the, the new changes, too. I love the interleague play is always fun. It gets good ratings. People like watching the teams you don't see that often play each other. Um, I like the wild card, too, because, again, that heats up the October, you know, the passion of the game at the end when you get these random teams that can somehow play into the playoffs. So, I like the changes. Um, yeah, I mean, they're getting their stuff done probably before, uh, you know, it's even up to do. They're probably going to get it done here real soon. Yeah, and way in advance of the NBA. How right. bad does the NBA look? All right, coming up next, it's Maury Brown with the biz of baseball.com. We'll go inside of Major League Baseball. Like I said, they're on the verge of a new collective bargaining agreement, lots of free agent activities. The hot stove is firing up. We'll discuss that with Maury Brown coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be back. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We bring on our Major League Baseball insider, Maury Brown from thebizofbaseball.com. Good morning, Maury. How are you? Hey, I'm doing okay, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great. I want to talk to you about this Matt Kemp Dodgers contract. I see reports could be an eight-year, $160 million deal. And the first thing I thought of is, well, wait a minute here. The Dodgers' ownership is in flux. We don't know who's going to own that team. How would Major League Baseball approve such a humongous contract? Explain to our listeners. Well, I guess the best way to look at this, Brian, is that baseball has always said, you know, Frank McCourt was going to take money and siphon it off to basically take care of his debt. That was going to be a no-go. 
and anything that was going to further advance the club would be acceptable. Now, I mean, you you do have Frank McCourt continuing to own the team. The team still has to be competitive moving forward through the sale process. You could make an argument, and the Players Association would certainly say if Frank McCourt wants to do this, and he can make an argument to say that the, the revenues are there and may actually bolster uh, public opinion of the Dodgers and pull them out of this you know, malaise that they've been in over the past season that you can't really stop a deal like this going through as long as there's ways to make that payment. Now, of course, you know, new ownership has to basically saddle that and basically take that on. They don't have any say because we don't know who that new owner is going to be. So it's basically business as usual right now for the Dodgers. I would, you can make an argument that it's actually probably a good thing for Dodger fans and for basically the growth of the Dodgers and give fans something to uh, look forward to in the years to come. Quickly, where are we in the process of the sale of the Dodgers? Well, we're going to be going through the – basically the situation is right now that prospective owners will be basically vetted through the league and basically cleared through a clearinghouse, a group that will basically be looking at and basically brokering the sale. Frank McCord will have obviously a say in that in terms of what the total dollar amounts is. But they want to try and make this to happen fairly quickly. I mean, he's got basically an obligation to basically pay off Jamie McCord a sizable sum of money that that has to happen by the end of spring. So we're looking at this sale to basically happen during the off season. It'll be difficult for Ned Coletti and basically the group there. You don't know who that ownership group is going to be or how much that, you know, sale is going to impact what the operations of the team is going forward. You're going to have that happen. It sounds like probably uh, at the beginning of spring training or thereabouts. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic for the Dodgers over the next, you know, six to eight months. We're joined by Maury Brown. He's our Major League Baseball insider with the bizofbaseball.com. The St. Louis Cardinals, they have a new manager. It's Mike Matheny, who played catcher for them. Your thoughts on Mike Matheny, who's never managed at the Major League level. First time a person who's never managed at the Major League level has taken over for a defending champion. Interesting hire for the Cards. Yeah, it's very interesting, Brian. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's you could say, I don't know if daring is the word you want to use, but I mean, it's certainly something that I think a lot of people didn't expect. I think a lot of people were looking at, wow, maybe Terry Francona seems like a good fit, you know, given where he's been at. But it looks like one of these situations to where they're going to go ahead and they're going to take a chance. They must have loved what they heard from Mike, and he was a great, you know, player for them. Um, it'll be an interesting thing. You know, if it goes well, then, you know, wow, everybody's brilliant in terms of their hiring process. If it goes sideways, of course, there's going to be a lot of discussion around, well, you know, was this a situation, was this a bad uh, you know, management decision made by, you know, the executives there at the at the Cardinals. But um, it certainly gives, gives a lot of people to talk about something now. But, I mean, if you're going to hand over a team, you know, that's really in good shape, you know, it, it, you are getting that in, in that sense. So, uh, you know, something to look forward to as, as the season progresses in 2012. The hot stove is firing up. It looks like, according to Ken Rosenthal, the Marlins have offered Jose Reyes a six-year $90 million deal. Might he land in Florida, and why would they be interested in Jose Reyes when they've already got Hanley Ramirez? Yeah, this is kind of the question that everybody's got. I mean, it's a couple of things. You know, they would move Hanley. Hanley would have to agree to this, of course, is it move him to third or into the outfield, but it would create a formidable infield. And that doesn't mean that the Marlins are done shopping. I mean, it is one of those things to where I've heard that this is, you know, one of those things to where, barring something unforeseen, that it, it makes a lot of sense to Reyes. They could, of course, go shopping elsewhere. 
But, um, you know, the Marlins are going to be the team to watch this year. They've got a bunch of disposable money now at this new stadium. They've sold all their premium seating and a lot of their suites, so they've got this money that they've never had available to them, and they're going to go wild in free agency. They're going to certainly court or make, uh, you know, uh, at least innuendo toward a lot of these players, or whether it happens or not. Um, is going to be whether you know whether it happens or not. I mean, they've shopped Albert Pujols now. Whether Albert Pujols lands there or not is is another question altogether. Prince Fielder, Mark Burley, we mentioned Reyes. I mean, it, just the list goes on and on. They're going to basically be looking at everybody and try and make a run right here, right now. And obviously, Ozzy Guillen is their new manager, and he's a pretty player-friendly manager, so that will be interesting to see if he's able to attract those free agents. Jonathan Papelbon, longtime closer for the Red Sox, is on his way to Philadelphia, part of a $50 million deal. Are you surprised that Papelbon winds up in Philadelphia? No, I mean, in the sense that the Phillies have always kind of gone out and set the market early. I mean, they're, they're always a team to watch. They tend to go out and do some moves very early on. And in the sense that, you know, you had Madsen as the other option there. I mean, it's a little bit more. And Papelbon looks like he said that he was going to add more rings to his collection. You know, he wanted to basically go someplace to win. But, you know, there is the money involved. Basically, his annual average value, which would basically be taking the money and dividing it up over the number of years, is second, tied for second to Brad Lidge and behind only Mariano Rivera for closers. So it sets the market real fast, real high. There's a glut of closers right now. You can make a case that maybe the Phillies overpaid for it, but they need they wanted Papelbon. They're clearly looking to very quickly erase the, the you know, bowing out of the playoffs early on this year and try and get back into it. And like I said, the Phillies have been known to go out and set the market very early for free agency. This is the start of that. Interestingly enough, Cole Hamels could be on the block in Philadelphia, according to numerous reports. And if you're Boston, all right, you didn't pay for Papelbon. Would you take that money and apply it to Cole Hamels? Because the Red Sox need starting pitching, and they could really use a starter like Cole Hamels. Yeah, I mean, whether it's Cole Hamels or whether it's C.J. Wilson, I mean, both the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to be teams to watch for pitching. They're, they both need it very badly. It was something that bit, certainly bit the Red Sox badly down the stretch and had that you know tremendous nosedive there in the month of September that, that saw them miss the playoffs on the last day of the season. They're going to be looking to do something. You know, If they lost Papelbon and that wasn't even part of the discussion, now you're going to have – uh, that money that is going to be freed up, and they need that for starting pitching. So, yes, I would look at them to either look at Hamels or, like I said, C.J. Wilson. Last question, the two prize free agents on the free agent market, Albert Pujols, Prince Fielder, any early inklings as to where those two could be headed? Well, I mean, I've always said in terms of Pujols that they're really the Cardinals to lose. Um, they've certainly got this extra money now with the World Series, although you know it's not a heck of a lot. It is a little bit more. Um, you know, Fielder is the guy that I keep looking at. And I think that there are a number of teams that are going to go out there. there. A lot of the clubs right now are simply waiting, I think, for the CBA to be finalized, which could come at the end of this week. We currently have GM meetings and owners meetings going on, as well as the MLBPA meeting with agents this week. So there's a lot of pieces in flux. And as soon as that's nailed down, I think we're going to see this open up. But there's no clear front runners right now, other than I think Pujols probably stays with the Cardinals. 
fielder is going to go out courting, and I think that it's just going to go to a highest bidder and whatever makes good sense for him. I'd watch, like I said, the Marlins, I think, are going to make a run at him. Whether that pans out or not, I don't know. But those kind of teams are the ones to watch out for. Always great information from Maury Brown, the bizofbaseball.com. Great follow on Twitter at bizballmaury. Maury, thanks for taking the time. Hey, Brian, it's always my pleasure. Talk to you soon. So how about that? Major League Baseball is going to get their collective bargaining agreement done before the NBA. And theirs doesn't even expire until next month. That's something that's not talked about very much. They've gotten that done quietly and effectively. You haven't read about their battles and threats going back and forth. I think it makes the NBA look even worse. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcasts on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. We're back and joining me now is Christine Brennan from USA Today. She's a sports columnist for USA Today. She also does commentary for NPR and ABC News. Christine, thanks so much for making time. How are you? Well, Brian, I'm great. How are you doing? Good. You've had a very busy week. I've seen you on CNN and many other places. This Penn State scandal, I mean, it just shows us such an abuse of power. It's so wide-ranging. It's not just the athletic department. It's the board of trustees. It's into the president's office at Penn State. Law enforcement. It's the most wide-ranging scandal I've seen in sports. I would agree. I mean, um, there's certainly been... There have been some uh, big ones and doozies over the years, you know, whether you go to the fabric of sports with the Black Sox scandal long before any of us were born, or uh, steroids in, in all sports, steroids in baseball, steroids in the Olympics. Those are huge. But I think this one is bigger. I think you're right. I think it's worse. I think it's because of the, the subject matter, the victims, uh, the alleged victims, of course, at this point. Um, and uh, just the, although we do have Sandusky saying he showered with young boys, so I think we're already, we can probably take alleged off the word victims because that is so awful in and of itself. And his admission the other day kind of helps us understand, you know, what now is true, which, uh, you know, I'm sure Sandusky's lawyer has to be wondering why he did that, but allowed that. But anyway, um, yeah, I think this is so bad and so awful. And because it's Penn State, squeaky clean Penn State, 
and Joe Paterno. You know, these are legendary names in sports. So you, you throw this in the mix, and it's just revolting, and it's so uh, disgusting and, and so sad. Um, so I think the worst scandal in college sports ever guaranteed and may well become the worst scandal ever in U.S. sports history. Well, and we're learning more details every day, but it certainly now seems like so many people knew about Jerry Sandusky's actions and that those actions were covered up in an effort for many people to save face. That and the power of college football, I, you know, I guess. Again, there, we, and we stress throughout this entire conversation, I know I do and you do as well, there are a lot of allegations. Uh, no one has been convicted of anything yet, but it's so pervasive and so awful that I think that's why everyone is, is talking about it and discussing it in the tone and in the uh, important manner that we are. And you wonder what Joe Paterno knew and when he knew it. He said, his words, 2002, he was told and, of course, did not call the police. So fireable offense right then and there. And that's why he was fired uh, last Wednesday. We could go now. We can a day, I guess. And um, the university president, for not only for knowing and, and not calling the police, and he admitted in the grand jury testimony he knew. Um, and again, you can we can split hairs about what they were told, what they were told. Horseplay in the shower between a 60-year-old coach or 55-year-old coach, whatever, and a by the way, a coach who's left three years earlier. Right? He's gone right. in 99. He's no longer, how is he even allowed in there? How was the liability issues with boys? I mean, that, that by itself should be a fireable offense at Penn State. So three years later, the university president hears horseplay between a 60-year-old guy and a 10-year-old boy, and, oh, that must just be normal? I, I mean, that, he's gone, thankfully, Spanier. And then, of course, his awful, just unbelievable comments, Brian, on Saturday after the grand jury report uh, became public. And, of course, Spanier testified in the grand jury. It was three years in the making, two and a half, whatever, years in the making. This was no surprise. He had plenty of time to think about it. And the university president calls the, uh, the incredible charges, the awful charges in the grand jury report, groundless. That was the president's word, groundless. Unbelievable. And unconditional support to two other men who have now are gone, Curley and Schultz. Yeah. I mean, is it just their eyes are blinded by football and their love of football? It's it's appalling that what we thought were good men would be uh, would act so so awful. Well, and Mike McQuarrie, his role in this, the latest report out this morning is, you know, he supposedly sent an email to a former teammate saying that he did call the police. The police are saying now that he didn't call. So a lot of he said, she said at this point. Yeah, he said, he said, yeah, whatever. Um, I agree. And I the McQuarrie thing is interesting because is he doing damage to himself as a potentially as a witness, as a star witness, by changing his story? Um, I know that one lawyer has said recently that you know the grand jury testimony, the grand jury report, the 23 pages of the grand jury report doesn't necessarily mean that that's all Mike McQuarrie said. But you would think that the grand jury report, Brian, would say that he then went to police if he said he went to police. So um, I, I think it could be a little troublesome. Certainly I'm a, the, on the sports end of it, not the legal end, but if you've got a star witness, McCleary, saying one thing to the grand jury and now saying another thing because he's being pummeled in such a way in the media and uh, by fans and death threats, apparently, whatever. So that could be something to watch and play out is if McCleary can then, a, a good defense attorney can discredit McQuarrie with his own statements. And I think that could be very troublesome uh, to try to um, get Sandusky on these um, these awful charges. Speaking of further legal hot water, how shocked were you? I was absolutely stunned that Sandusky's lawyer allowed him to do the interview with Bob Costas this week. Yeah, I, I agree totally. And as I said a few moments ago, then he actually gave us information that's very helpful in telling the story. I end my column today 
in USA Today, and people can find it at usatoday.com or christinebrennan.com. Um, if you want to read my story, uh, my column, that I ended it with, you know, we now know Sandusky says he was in the shower with young boys at Penn State in the football facility. I mean, who, a, a show of hands, you know, who thinks that's, that's acceptable? I'm sure we have zero hands raised. That alone tells us so much of the culture, and Sandusky now has admitted to that. He's obviously doing that then saying it wasn't criminal, that he wasn't raping the boys. But it's a pretty short leap from a naked, you know, what, 60-year-old coach and a t- naked 10-year-old boy in the shower, and he may have touched his leg. Oh, my gosh, Brian. I, I mean, it just... It's real- creepy all the way around. It's just Well, it's, it's, if it's true, it's criminal. It's despicable. He should spend the rest of his life in jail if it's true. Uh, it is just so disgusting. But as a journalist who's covered, you know, Tanya Nancy and Tiger Woods and everything, Olympic steroids, of course, all the steroids, um, it is, it's, it's so revolting and it sickens me, but it's also so important. And that's why I and others will continue, of course, to say on this, because it is that big of a story and so important that we get to the bottom of it. Well, and I know this is all alleged, as we've said multiple times in this conversation, but Christine, you know what this story has done for me is it really, not to make light of any of the other scandals in our world as they relate to sports whether it's Tiger Woods or the University of Miami or Ohio State, those all pale in comparison to this. I mean, anytime anyone does harm to children or animals, those are two places you just don't go in our society. And the graphic nature of this scandal, I think just it really minimizes when I see another scandal now, I'm like, gosh, that's really nothing compared to this. True. Yeah. Oh, there's, we've never, as I said, we've never seen anything like this. Um, and let's hope we never see anything like this again. I mean, it's so bad that thankfully we haven't seen this before. I mean, it would be even worse if this was something that we dealt with all the time. So that's one of the reasons I think the outrage has been so remarkable and so good in, in that sense. A positive is that there is such uh, outrage around the country about this. And, and Paterno had, and even Penn, Pennsylvania, where the leadership has been, you know, AOL for the entire uh, um, or a- AWOL, AWOL, excuse me, for the entire, you know, time, they, you know, at least now they, they did do the right thing last week with uh, Paterno and Spanier and get rid of both of those guys. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess I would only caution and say that, you know, yes, compared to we joked, you know, Jim Trestle needs to come running back right now because he looks pretty great by comparison, but he was still awful what he did, Trestle, and USC is still terrible, and allegations, well, the Miami thing, you know, down in Florida is still terrible. And so they're just different levels of terrible. And, and now we're focusing completely on this, on the Penn State thing, which is, takes us to a completely new depth in, in all of this. But I also think that, um, yeah, journalistically, I, I guess, rest assured, we'll continue to cover all these other things as well. Um, but, but noting that um, hopefully we've now seen the worst, and um, I hope there's nothing worse than what we're seeing at Penn State. We're joined by Christine Brennan. She's a columnist for USA Today. You can find her online at usatoday.com. She also does commentary for NPR and ABC News. Christine, I know you've said this, and I completely agree with you. I think there needs to be complete regime change at Penn State from top to bottom. Board of trustees, obviously there's going to be a new president, everyone in the athletic department, anyone who had any knowledge of this at all should be gone. I, yes, I agree. And I, I mean, even yesterday, and I put this in my column that's, um, that's online and, you know, in the paper today, uh, the, the governor, Tom Corbett, who is a member of the Board of Trustees, he was the attorney general who started the investigation of Sandusky, but critics say that he, he went way too slowly and only put one 
uh, officer on it, and only when he left office to become governor, Corbett, after he was elected governor, did the investigation really ramp up. So that'll be interesting to find out what Corbett did and didn't do as attorney general. But then yesterday... So he knows all about this. He's well aware of it from his previous job. He's now the governor. And this past summer, he approved a $3 million grant, state grant, from Pennsylvania to the Second Mile Foundation, Jerry Sandusky's foundation that he allegedly used to meet these young boys and to be able to perpetrate his incredible and awful crimes against these young boys. And so here's the governor has all this knowledge, whether he can admit, you know, say it or not, is another factor because of his previous role as attorney general understandably he can't go and blab it to everybody but he has this knowledge and he still approves a three million dollar grant to continue to do things at the second mile it's unbelievable Uh, well let's hope the people of pennsylvania know what to do um and let's hope there are people outside of pennsylvania the senators the congress people you know others who um obviously department of education justice um that can come in i mean it, it right now it looks like pennsylvania is rudderless not just penn state but the, the, the state of Pennsylvania. And clearly there are two sides to every story. Can't wait to hear the governor's side to that. Um, but he is not distinguishing himself at all in this. And the board of trustees, you know, whatever people knew or didn't know, the, the tentacles of this story into the fabric of life in state college and around the Penn State area, I agree. I think when it's all said and done, they'll all be gone all of them, the whole football program should clean house after this season. That's a given. And certainly the leadership of Penn, Pennsylvania, Penn State, and maybe the state. Um, I think it probably will happen that they will all end up gone. I'll tell you what a big red flag for me is, and we can look back on it in hindsight. But in 2007, President Spanier worked very diligently to make Penn State exempt from the state's open records law. So now you look back on that and you're like, what did they know at that time and why are they exempt from the state's open record law and how can a university be exempt from that law? Again, just appalling. Again, is football so important? Is Joe Pa and football so important? And, well, again, Spanier knew in 2002, he said that in the grand jury report, he told the grand jury, he knew in 2002, he thought it was horseplay between the 60-year-old naked Jerry Sandusky and the 10-year-old naked boy. The president of the university knew about that in 2002, and then he wants all the records closed in 2007? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I know you wrote yesterday in your column that you don't think Penn State should go to a bowl game. If they're invited, they should decline. Give your reasoning why. Certainly there's precedent for this. Notre Dame turned down bowls for years. Notre Dame turned down a bowl two years ago. Uh, when they went through a coaching change. They did that also in the mid-90s when they went through a coaching change. Ohio State turned down a bowl, and when they went through a coaching change a few years ago, uh, well, a while ago in the 90s, but also in in 1961-62 season, they turned down the 62 Rose Bowl uh, for academic reasons. The faculty voted that the football program was acting too important, and they chose not to send them to the Rose Bowl. I say that because people must think that everyone goes to every bowl game. Uh, Institutions of higher learning make decisions all the time to not go to bowl games, uh, to decline bowl bids in their their best interest. Um, It is absolutely true that the student athletes, the football players, apparently, you know, I'm almost sure they had no idea what was going on. And for them not to go to a bowl game, Brian, punishes them. That is true. I admit that. But at USC, all those kids were punished because of all the problems there. Whenever there's lack of institutional control and there are sanctions, it often punishes um, the uh, players who are there at the time. And, of course, I think we're talking about the most egregious lack of institutional control we've ever heard of. Um, And furthermore, 
just the notion of Penn State celebrating. Picture the Rose Bowl. They could go to the Rose Bowl if they win their last two games and then the Big Ten Championship. And uh, that Rose Bowl, glistening, beautiful day, January 2nd, obviously it'll be the 2nd this year, 2012. And there's Penn State's name in the end zone, and they've been, you know, the governor we just talked about and all those officials and all those trustees have been whining and dining each other all week and the Chamber of Commerce patting them all on the back. Oh, it makes you sick, doesn't it? It just makes you sick. Yeah, it doesn't seem right for sure. If you could could send the 85 players and one coach and have them play a game with no television – you know, and just play and then go home. But the, but a bowl game is not about the players as much as it is about the entire institution to celebrate the band and the, you know, playing in a parade. Oh, it is. It would be repulsive. And I'm sorry for those students, but they you know, there's no guarantee of a bowl game, as we know. They know when, when the season starts. That's the bowl game's the extra. It's a privilege. It's a celebration. There should be no celebration of Penn State this year. Last question. We've got about a minute left. Where do you go from here if you're Penn State? Because the thing about this story, Christine, is you think that, unfortunately, there are going to be a lot of victims that are humiliated by this, and they may come forward for the next 10, 15, 20 years. This is not a story that is going to go away anytime soon. Well, one poster on my Facebook page said, this is a crime scene. The football facilities at Penn State are a crime scene. Now, it's a little dramatic, but <laughs> it would be in that sense if it had happened recently, you know, and if we find out about it sooner. If, I, if you're saying that I can be in charge of Penn State, which obviously I'm not and would never be, I would uh, shut down the football program for next year. I would allow everyone, have the NCAA allow anyone to transfer, Get, let those guys go and play immediately so they don't have to wait out. They can go play at another school next year if they choose, keep their scholarships if they choose to stay, and I would, I would suspend football for the year, clean house, and start over. Um, that's the only way to do it and come back proud with an entirely different Penn State feeling in the 2013 season. No, I think that's a very good idea. That's all the time we have with Christine Brennan, columnist for USA Today. Find her online at usatoday.com, and you can also watch her on NPR and ABC News. Christine, always enjoy our conversations. Thank you so much for your perspective, and let's catch up again soon. I look forward to it, Brian. Thanks again. Take care. You too. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. I wish my heart was always on her mind. It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, USA Today put out their list of highest paid college football coaches. Topping the list is Texas coach Mack Brown. He takes home $5.1 million a year. Remember, this is amateur athletics. It's a nonprofit. 
Alabama coach Nick Saban comes in second at $4.8 million a year. Oklahoma coach Bob Stoops, $4 million a year. LSU coach Les Miles, $3.8 million a year. And Iowa coach Kirk Ferentz brings in $3.7 million a year. Those are your top five highest paid coaches. Griggs, uh, a lot of money to be a college football coach, and it seems like the uh, prices for head football coaches goes up every year, and then they've got incentives on top of this. So you win a national championship or something like that, and you're getting another million dollars in some cases. Plus, a guy like Mac Brown in Texas, I mean, they're like celebrities around town. You know they don't pay for food or anything else. You know they're getting, you know, everybody's taking care of them and pretend they go anywhere. Well, that's the old joke. I mean, I joke with a lot of my athlete friends and people who make a lot of money in the world of sports. You're the person who can afford all of these things, but you never get charged for anything. So whether it's golf or trips or meals or anything like that, meanwhile, you know, the, the schmucks like us, we have to pay full boat for everything. How is that fair? I don't get that. This doesn't make sense to me. But hey, that's how it goes, right? I mean, at least someone from Starbucks listening to this show can throw you and I like some <laughs> some gift cards or something like that so we can enjoy our uh, Starbucks addiction as we tweet it out this week. I need my peppermint hot chocolate. Yeah, you're a peppermint mocha guy, aren't and you? And a mocha guy, yeah, exactly. I'm kind of just a hot chocolate guy because uh, caffeine doesn't sit so well with me. But every once in a while when we have a, a late night, when we do our top 20 sports business radio stories of the year, I may be breaking out the uh, peppermint mocha that night. There you go. Because I'll need some caffeine. By the way, if you want to suggest your top 20 sports business stories of the year, any of the stories that should make our list, drop me an email, brian at sportsbusinessradio.com, or hit me up on Twitter at SB Radio. From Griggs and I, we hope you have a very happy Thanksgiving. Here's my special little one with her holiday greeting for you. This is Sophia Parker. Happy Thanksgiving. Have a happy Thanksgiving from Sports Business Radio. We'll talk to you next week. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio.